You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's show, I'll be chatting all about sex, the importance of communication, and the stigma around seeking help for sexual issues. My guest this week is sex and relationship educator, Grace Alice O'Shea. Grace has a qualification in occupational therapy and a master's in health promotion, specializing in sexual health. Grace, welcome to the show. How's it going? Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's going good. All is good. I'm in rainy, grey Galway at the moment, but you know, it, the sun could come out later. It's so unpredictable here at the moment. It's crazy. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this episode. I think as a topic, it's something that isn't discussed enough, uh, certainly within Ireland. I think we're shy when the word sex, orgasm, Anything to do with sex comes up in the conversation. People just shy away. And actually, it's a really important component of relationships, of life, and we need to talk about it more and more. Um, let's get to know you a little bit first in terms of your background and how you got into this as a, as a you know, to do, do your master's in it, specializing in sexual health. How did you come to that point? Yeah, absolutely. So... It's never really a straightforward path, I feel, into the field of sexuality and sex education. Like it's not something really you put in the CAO that you think you want to do, you know, when you're 16, 17. And what happened for me was I studied occupational therapy first. And for anyone who um, isn't overly familiar with occupational therapy, like the role of an OT it's very broad. They can work in many different settings and it's all about enabling and supporting people to engage in different activities in life. So it could be anything from, you know, learning to walk again after an injury to learning to socialize or how to make a cup of tea and whatever, like there's a lot of rehabilitation in it. And what I noticed when I was in college was that sex was just not being discussed. And, you know, as a young woman of that age as well, um, you know, sex was a big part of my life and, and my friends' lives. And I couldn't help but notice that it was just kind of a bit of an elephant in the room. So I remember someone asked, oh, and what do we do if a patient has sexual difficulties? And the lecturer just said, oh, well, you just apply the usual theory and practice, you know, like you would with anything else. And I'm sitting there and especially looking back now, I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's way more complex than that, you know. Um, so it was a bit glossed over. And what I ended up doing was I ended up doing, as you said, a master's in health promotion straight after. So I never actually practiced in OT yet, but that's a different story. But um, I did the master's and it was in health promotion and I did my research around body image and teenagers. But what I did that kind of was a game changer was I did a, a student placement with a charity called Sexual Health West in Galway. And um, yeah, that's how basically I got into the role of a sex educator. And I was there for years. Um, I've been a sex educator for uh, six years now. And as of last year, I have my own business as a sex relationships educator as under the name Grace Alice. So that's kind of how I came to it. Um, I suppose as well, that's the professional side, but there was a bit of a personal backstory as well, where I had a condition called vaginismus. And I've talked about this quite openly. And um, 
vaginismus basically meant I really, really struggled to have penetrative sex. It was either very painful or impossible. Thankfully, I don't have that anymore, but I did have it for years um, until I was I was 21. And um, that gave me a huge insight into how having a difficulty with sex can impact every aspect of your life and make you feel so alone. Um, so I think that was as well the passion part of it that really drove me into this field. Let's chat about sex education then in terms of as a society, how do we learn about it? Is it good? Is it bad? What do we need to change about sex education for people? Um, that's a good question. So um, it's a mix. I think we have come quite a long way, but we've a long way to go. So sex education typically, and I don't know, is it like this for you or, or listeners, but like when I was in school, I got a once-off talk when I was maybe 15 and it was supposed to be you know the sex talk but basically it was actually just about periods um and they just said don't have sex literally just don't have sex now I'm 29 and no longer you know like down with the young ones but I'm I'm not so old either that like that wasn't that long ago is is, is my point um sex education needs to happen in age-appropriate very small stages from a young age. Now, that doesn't mean talking to a really young child about sex necessarily. You can start talking about consent, about bodies. Even using the proper words for our body parts is so such an important part um, of becoming sexually empowered and shedding that shame and stigma around sex. Because sex, and I always say this, sex is so natural. It's the most natural thing ever but it doesn't always come naturally. It's actually, it's actually something we learn to perform. It's a socialized process. So when you consider that, it's madness that we don't have more education, that we don't have more honest conversations with young people. Um, you know, it's, it really does young people, I think, an injustice not to give them proper fact-based, um, you know, sex-positive, comprehensive education. Um, like we get loads of, we get messages about sex from when we're tiny. They're indirect and they're direct. They're in the media, um, in our family, in our homes. They're among our peers. They're very entrenched as well with gender, you know, with masculinity and femininity. So, you know, what I would say is that we we genuinely are getting there we are having more open conversations about sex but as i said i think we need we we have a bit to go and we need to look more towards the research that shows this that shows that comprehensive sex education from a young age does not encourage young people to have sex if anything they actually do wait a bit longer um and they're more likely to use protection um and more likely to advocate for their own sexual needs as well, because sex should be pleasurable, not just safe, it should be pleasurable as well. And what about the, the media perspective on sex and how we how we learn that way? Is that a positive or a negative, and particularly a, a, towards young adults as they grow up, 18 and, and beyond? The media presumably plays a, re, a bigger role. Like we look at the likes of Love Island and stuff mm. like that. It, surely that has a, a huge uh, role to play. Yeah, I think the thing with media is it's, it's such a giant industry and it's always going to be there. And I don't want to place too much blame on it, but I do think, you know, 
it, it, it does have a, a big influence. Um, even like even books, like it's it's not just it's not just social media and things like that. It's even how we read about sex and books. I remember growing up and the books I would read, like all the women in those books were having orgasms within a few minutes of just penetrative sex. And I thought that that's what sex is going to be. Or I read that sex is going to be painful. Um, and again, really kind of negative and, and maybe unrealistic messages about sex but also like sex is everywhere in the media it's used to sell everything um you know it's music videos and lyrics and um there are you know unhelpful representations like you mentioned the violent I don't watch it myself um but it's probably a good thing because we don't have any hours are wasted across each series of people who watch it myself and myself included no judgment no judgment like I watch (laughs) me and my partner watch Married at First Sight and we're obsessed with it and it's our guilty pleasure and it's good because it starts conversations so when you know when we talk about the media I'm really slow to demonize it in the sense that media is always going to exist outside of our morality and our values and our views of these complex topics. What needs to be there to complement it is those discussions. Um, That's what makes the difference. And, you know, that's something that comes up a lot with porn as well. You know, porn often is completely, completely blamed for all these issues in society. And, it's complete scapegoating. Of course, there's issues in porn. There's big inter- is issues in the porn industry and how some people use porn. But again, it's going to exist nonetheless. It's been around a long, 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 long time. So it's it's about getting in there and having the conversation so people aren't looking at the media representations and thinking, oh, that's what I need to do and, and that's what I need to look like or that's how I need to act. Um, and, you know, we're seeing a really interesting role that's emerging in the film industry. I don't know if you heard of an intimacy coordinator. Um, so it's, it's quite emer- emerging, but um, it's, it's brilliant. So it's, it's a person who would go in and talk to the actors about their boundaries and talk about how they can make sex look quite authentic, more, more raw and realistic um, representation. So an intimacy coordinator, um, I think Ito O'Brien is kind of one of the spear, I think I actually thought she founded the profession, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But she worked on things like sex education, um, you know, different shows like I think Bridgerton as well, and things like that. So it's good to have people like that as well in the media and contributing to maybe having more realistic um, representations of sex to look at as well. So let's chat around having a good sex life because presumably everyone who's tuning in today and hopefully there are lots, which there there tend to be when we do episodes like this, people want to have a good sex life and things get in the way of that. And I think over the course probably of of COVID and being locked down, relationships have been under huge pressures and sex is probably another pressure zone that people don't really talk about or communicate about with their partners. And that communication is a key thing to having a good sex life. But what else can get in the way of it? Oh, lots of That's things. a big question. I'm I know, <laughs> I know, but no, a really good question. Like the first thing I'm going to say and start off with is shame is a huge thing. Okay. So you could be having many different issues um, regarding sex. There's countless different issues someone could be having. They think they want too much. They think they want too little. They're not having the sex they want maybe they're having pain, discomfort. There's so many things, um, there's so many things that can 
go wrong, for want of a better word, um, or go off track, let's say, to what we were planning. But it's the shame about having the issues that actually compounds the problem. Um, so people feeling like they can talk about it, feeling like they're alone, um, tying, and, and I can totally, totally see how this happens when someone has a difficulty with sex or a problem, tying that so close, closely to our identity um, is a big issue. So, you know, feeling not worthy, feeling unattractive, feeling, you know, um, what's the like a dip in confidence and I mentioned femininity and masculinity before and I know I'm being quite gendered here but it does happen like say for example um maybe a man is struggling with or someone with a penis is struggling with erectile dysfunction and something that comes up over and over again is then they feel like less of a man they feel like you know they're not a proper man and you know, same with maybe women or anyone with a vagina, say if they're having vaginismus or painful sex or whatever it is, they feel less of a woman. And you can imagine how that would knock, have a knock-on effect, you know, to your identity as a person and a sexual being. Um, and yeah, I mean, loads of stuff can get in the way. You have I think a general lack of connectedness to our bodies, to our intuition, what it needs and what it wants, maybe not making space and time to be intimate or even to masturbate, like to connect with ourselves sexually. Um, people have really busy lives these days. You know, they do. And unfortunately, it can just take a back seat. But as I said, I think it's the, the shame and guilt and those feelings that build up around it that really grow the problem bigger than it was to begin with, if that makes sense. Yeah, and of course it pulls back to that, that mental health element of, you know, when you don't talk about something, not talking it out, the thing becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And for sexual health, it seems to be exactly the same. People listening in who are having issues, have you any tips for them about how they might communicate with a partner? What's the best way to, to bring it up? Is it to bring it up over dinner, bring it up over having a cup of tea? Or like, you know, what? How, how do you start that conversation? Because by the sounds of it, it is important to not hold back, have the conversation with your partner and then work it out together. How might you start that conversation? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it is going to be different for different couples. And I want to highlight that, you know, you could try one way and it just might not be that person's communication style. Um, but there's a few things to consider. So. I don't think it's a good idea to approach a conversation about sex when the situation is already charged or emotionally charged. So therefore, talking about sex in the bedroom sometimes doesn't work out very well. So, you know, um, say if, if, if you've tried to have sex and it's just not working or you're not feeling it and then you initiate the conversation straight away there and then you're already feeling probably quite a few emotions around that your body and your brain is um turned on and I don't even mean in an arousal way I mean like you're just maybe on kind of high alert so people might get defensive they might get upset more easily so I would say try and kind of take it outside the bedroom or at least outside of you know the moment itself or the sexual situation um I would reiterate that you know to your partner that this isn't a criticism um that this is something that you know you you can you can name out all the things you are happy with or mention the things you love about them and you appreciate and that you know just to 
that you think it would make for even an, a healthier and an even happier relationship if maybe we could address this. Um, you know, for some people, talking talking works and they're good talkers. For other people, they might want to write it, write in a letter, even maybe for yourself first so you get your thoughts down um, or you can give it to them. Again, it, it depends on what people kind of are comfortable with. Um, some people as well, like I've seen one technique where if you're feeling really anxious and really nervous, that you kind of set up this scenario where you're not looking at them. And I know that sounds bad, but maybe you sit back to back. So you're touching and you're connecting, but you're saying what you're feeling out. And sometimes that can take the intense pressure off people because we're in, we're straight away, we're reading our partner's reactions and we're kind of saying, oh God, they're getting upset or they're getting defensive. And, you know, sometimes it's actually nice to take that out of it. Um, I think just reiterating over and over that, you know, that, this problem, whatever it is, or whatever difficulty, it's just another blip. There's this stereotype that when couples are having problems with sex, that they're doomed, you know, and that's not the case at all. Like most couples will have an issue at some point. So it's just reiterating that it absolutely isn't the end of the world. There is help. Let's look into it together. Let's figure it out together. And as well, just give each other then space and come back to it and make the commitment and say, Okay, I think, you know, we're both have a lot to soak in. So maybe we'll chat about it again, maybe Friday or, you know, make that commitment that you're not just going to have one chat and then kind of leave it flounder in the air and nothing happens. <laughs> Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. This has been fascinating so far. I think that communication uh, issue for people is something that's going to resonate with our listeners unquestioned. Might an email or even a text message, dare I say, be a good way to communicate with your partner if you are afraid to, you know, look them in the eye and say, look, we're having problems sexually or whatever it may be. Is that another easy way potentially to start the conversation or is it a bad idea? Again, I mean, it depends on the couple. Like usually people would be like, oh my God, no, face to face. And that's kind of the company line that you always hear. But I'm a big believer in, you know, one size does not fit all. There's a million different ways we communicate as, as humans. We're very complex in, in how we communicate. To start the conversation, it might absolutely be suitable for the two of you um, to start it. I wouldn't, you know, continue the whole thing over text um, because obviously tone can be lost. You don't have maybe as much of the loving energy in the room and things like that. And you have to be really careful as well that when you're talking, when you're expressing something, it's really important to use eye language and to focus on what you're feeling and what you need and what you're asking for, not to be projecting onto them. Like you don't do this and you should do this. And that kind of language is immediately going to kind of, I suppose, get people's backs up. So that's just the danger, I think, with the text and the email and stuff that, you know, it just could get a bit lost in translation. So I think if you are doing that, it might be nice to say something, you know, again, start with a loving a sentiment, you know, like saying you love them or whatever it is and just say, look, could we make time to talk about this maybe soon? It's been on my mind. I want it to be a really respectful and loving and productive conversation. And I don't want you to feel, you know, worried or bad about it. Um, 
just kind of, again, comforting them, but also yourself, you know, like just looking after yourself and having that self-compassion. So I don't know, email and text, maybe. Possibly not. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't be my first go-to, but yeah. I'm never one to say, don't ever do that. It'll never work, you know, yeah. because... I, do, well, I, th- I think your advice has re- been really good for people so far. You know, start the conversation with tlc a little bit of love you know loving in terms of the, maybe your feelings around the, for the person start with a positive put the bit you really want to talk about in the middle and finish with a positive someone many many years ago i worked with in tv coined that as a sandwich that you sandwich, sandwich stuff, yeah, yeah that you sandwich it together <laughs> and actually it's a really nice way to talk about stuff with people because there is a positive the meaty bit in the middle that you really want to discuss that you know that has to be discussed and then finishing with a positive yeah so absolutely. but you know your, your advice has been absolutely super Let's take it on towards uh, pleasure and orgasm then, mm-hmm. because, you know, people ha- can have issues with these. Again, it's not a pro, it's not, you know, it won't be the first time, it won't be the last time. Communication is really important, but maybe some of the issues that can come up, and obviously I'm going to start with stress, because presumably stress over the last year and a half has caused a huge amount of sexual issues with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like the most important sexual organ, the most powerful sexual organ is not between the legs. It's between the ears. It, it is our brain. Um, you know, that's the boss of everything. Basically stress is, I mean, it's the leading, probably one of the leading, if not the leading cause of kind of issues around, um, experiencing pleasure and experiencing orgasm and just sexual issues in general. Um, you know, as well, different issues can come from, especially with pleasure and orgasm, things like medications, you know, there's can be hormone imbalances, there could be trauma, um, someone could be having pain or discomfort, um, I, I, but, but a lot of it can come back again to the psychological aspect that maybe we have negative beliefs around sex that we've never addressed. They can be quite deep, by the way, like y- you could feel that you're very sex positive and you like sex but once you go digging there can be some stuff that you never realized oh god yeah actually I remember you know oh my mom used to say that or you know or my brother you you know that stuff can run quite deep um as well the belief that we deserve pleasure and orgasm I work with so many clients um now I do work mainly with women it's just more women just come to me more but where I'll be like, you know, and do you enjoy sex? Do you like sex? And they're like, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really good. Like it's, it doesn't hurt or anything. And I'm like, okay, like, it's, it's just so sad sometimes to hear that, that that's the baseline of it doesn't hurt. It's okay. It's, you know, um, and then if I ask, oh, and, and are you okay with orgasming? And they're like, oh no, I've never had an orgasm. So again, the baseline can be set quite low. And I don't think that's particularly just an Irish thing, but it certainly is something in Ireland that like, you know, talking about sex is one thing, but talking about actually the pleasurable sex you enjoy is another thing. Um, so as you mentioned, like in the pandemic, loads of loads of things have come up, like under such pressure, if you're in lockdown with your partner, your partner suddenly is your colleague, your sexual partner, your friend, your cooking partner, your exercise partner, they're being pushed to fulfill all these roles. And, you know, sometimes the metaphor of fire is used for desire, you know, sparking a fire, but there needs to be air and oxygen and space for fire to actually spark. And in lockdown, we didn't have that, did we? It was just all the time, you know, the novelty kind of wears away then. Um, so that's something that has affected people as well. But even before the pandemic, that would have been an issue for couples as well. 
And as partners, what can we do better ourselves to improve the, our sex lives with our partners? Like, you know, people listening into the episode, what should they do having, when the episode finishes to improve their sex lives with their partners? What can they do better? Yeah, so I'm going to start with the standard communicate. And um, I always have to mention it. And I know it sounds so easy. Oh, just communicate. But, you know, communication is hard, um, especially with the person we're having sex with and the person that we love and the person that we're so, you know, that we don't want to be rejected by and we don't want to hurt and all that. But communication and having a chat about it, opening up the floor to making space and time and talking about it. Other things can be <clears throat> actually scheduling time for intimacy people can be quite resistant to this right you know <laughs> when we see sex in the media it's all spontaneous it's all like there's just this look and then suddenly there's clothes flying and people are having <laughs> earth shattering orgasms and it's all this this passion you know again that's on screen in reality um, it's really important to actually schedule time to be intimate. That doesn't mean, need to mean to have sex or even penetrative sex. Um, it could be time where you just put the phones away, put the screens away. You're making that time just for the two of you to connect. It could be it could be watching something together. It could be giving each other a massage. Um, you know, it could be having types of sex that that we're not focused on orgasm. Orgasm is not the goal. We're focused on making each other feel good. Um, as well, you know, maybe even you can do kind of little online courses together. There's sexual wellness apps now. There's a lot of stuff out there and kind of figuring out what can work. Like there's a sexual wellness app called Furly. That's F-E-R-L-Y. They have like um kind of sensual meditations you can do and you can do that with your partner. Um, exploring all the erogenous zones. Again, sex can be so focused on penetration and one part of the body going into another part and then having an orgasm. That's only a snapshot of what sex actually is. And we have so many different areas of the body to explore and different ways we can connect intimately. Um, you know, sexting, you have oral sex, um, you know, using your hands, everything like that. Like focusing on those and giving each other pleasure is much more important than saying, oh, I had penetrative sex X times this month. Do you know what I mean? And scheduling intimacy as well is really beneficial because A, it can actually build sexual excitement throughout the day or, or the week or whatever it is. You're looking forward to it. Um, B, you're showing your partner that you are committed to this. You are committed to the relationship and, and, and nurturing the sexual side of it. And C, there's something that we call maintenance sex, which sounds so erotic. But Doesn't maintenance sound the most attractive sex, thing I know, in the world. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but maintenance sex is basically like that. You're scheduling time for intimacy and you're having um you're making time for kind of regular sexual connection. That sets the stage for then the spontaneous stuff. The big mistake I think a lot of people make is if they are experiencing desire discrepancy so that basically there's a discrepancy between how much sex you want versus your partner they kind of wait for the spontaneous stuff to just come back as if it's a light bulb that's just going to flick on it's not as simple as that for most people so scheduling the time and making time and effort for it actually um allows it opens up the channels of connection 
that allow the spontaneous stuff to happen. I'm fascinated. This is, really, this is exactly the kind of conversation I wanted to have in this episode. I wasn't Good. sure if, we were, if, if the episode would go the way that I wanted to, but it's a mature, grown-up, adult conversation around sex with simple tips and tools and tricks that can improve people's sex lives and how they communicate around it. And that's exactly what we wanted to get from it, which is fantastic to get. If people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, so the best place to go is just my website. Um, it's gracealice.com. I kind of feed everything through there. I'm really, really obsessed with it. I update it every week. So, you know, from there, you can connect to my Instagram, you can connect to my LinkedIn and all that jazz. Um, so yeah, gracealice.com. Um, I do have an Instagram page, as I mentioned. It is Ganace La Grace. So Ganace is sex in Irish, but people thought my name was Ganace for ages. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> people were calling me Ganace. And I was like, that means sex. You're literally calling me sex. Um, but that's a G-N-E-A-S, Ganace, uh, Ganace Let Grace. But again, gracealice.com is probably the most straightforward way to connect with me. Well, Grace Alice, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Folks, a really interesting episode of Real Health this week. I think you'll agree. Lots to think about and lots to put into action over the course of the next seven days between this episode and the next one. So no pressure if you're listening in. Go have lots and lots and lots of fun. And we'll see you next week for more Real Health. Slonga Fall. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.